the older the property you buy, the more like the boilers and chillers. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when this is and making sure you're fully capitalized. Because I've seen a lot of properties, early 60s, oh, they've only turned one unit and their utilities are $1,200 a unit. It's like, oh, you guys have been paying for leaks. You can't renovate anything and you replaced a roof. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Today, our guest is Mike Taravella from Rand Commercial Real Estate. Today, we're talking about commercial multifamily syndication, asset management, and property management. And a few of the key insights that Mike has had as an asset manager for a leading multifamily syndication company. And this gets a bit into the weeds. And I really lean this conversation toward benefiting you, the passive syndication investor, because a lot of these conversations around asset management for multifamily, commercial multifamily, really mostly pertain to general partners, people who are putting deals together, kind of like I put deals together on my own. But the information that is important to you, the passive investor, oftentimes kind of falls to the wayside, right? We forget to give that focus to passive investors who are interested in syndication. So this has a spin of asset management for passive investors in multifamily syndications. We talk about lessons he's learned along the way as an asset manager. We talk about the difference between asset management and property management. His company in particular, the company he works for, is vertically integrated. They have their own property management in-house, which many of the syndications that you see out there will have third-party property management. It's a different setup, but these lessons can apply both ways. So important lessons there. And we talk about the future of commercial multifamily investing, what he sees coming down the road and why, what he thinks the future is going to be. So a lot of great lessons in this one. You're going to learn a lot. If you enjoy the show and you're an Apple podcast user, please take a quick second, leave us a rating or interview on Apple Podcasts. That's much appreciated. That helps other people learn about the show. That helps us rank higher in the Apple podcast ecosystem. And I'll be perfectly transparent with you on this. It helps me feel good because I get to see that you guys are learning and engaging with the content and escaping the Wall Street casino with us. This is the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino by investing in real estate, hopefully as passively as possible without buying yourself another job managing tenants, toilets, and termites. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor. I'm a real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. I also passively invest in real estate syndications. I'm all about these real estate syndications, and I love learning from experienced guys like Mike. Without any further ado, here we go with Mike Taravella. Mike, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, Taylor, thank you so much for having me on. Super excited to be on the show and just talk about commercial real estate, asset management, and everything in between. Best topics ever. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about what you do today, where you came from, and you know who you're working with? It's pretty exciting what you're doing. Yeah. So I am currently the asset and acquisitions manager for Rand Partners, which is the Jake and Gino investing arm of the family of companies and the Rand fam. Uh, originally, back in the day, you know, several years ago, uh, I was told to do the safe route, get the safe job. I was good at math. I did accounting and uh, was told I was a sell for that and did public accounting for two years and learned a lot there. 
uh, and then worked with Dan Gilbert on startup stuff and uh, learned to scale businesses. And now we're just looking to scale real estate in the Southeast with uh, Jake and Gino. We have about 1,500 units under management, probably uh, 150 uh, million under management dollar-wise and looking to continue to scale, grow, and help listeners, uh, investors get wealthier with every investment. So super excited and just a great opportunity to talk to investors like yourself and help take over the world. <laughs> That's great. I love that. And Jake and Gino have been on the show before as well. They gave a, a, a great, you know, fiery interview, which was, was awesome. Great talking with them. And I think one of the things that I like that is kind of unique about what you guys do is your level of vertical integration, which is not very common in the multifamily syndication space these days. Can you describe your setup, how how Rand is all organized, and you know what that offers for you know Rand and your investors? Yeah, absolutely. So we're vertically integrated. So we have me and the acquisition side. We have our property management uh, working side by side with us. So in the office, I'm with our area or areas and regionals, and we all every morning we're on a huddle, just saying, "Hey, here's what's going on." Uh, it's great because instead of kind of every week with third party. You have that weekly call, unless it's a 911 emergency, uh, but we're always collaborating, working together. So we're always in the loop on, hey, we're pretty close on winning this deal, or hey, this emergency happened. We're just constantly talking, communicating. And I think the biggest thing that's important is because feedback is like a wave. You know, The more you communicate, good, bad, or indifferent, it's going to be short levels of short waves, little waves, manageable. But if you don't talk for a long time, that big wave is going to come back and it's not going to probably be good. Uh, so it just allows for a lot of communication, a lot of feedback, and a lot of growth. And uh, I'm sure for our property management side, for me, it's I don't know anything about <laughs> maintenance side of things, but just understanding what goes into it. Our team members are we're looking to have the Chick-fil-A of service for our apartments, for our residents. And so just a lot of different perspectives that go into it that, yeah, I could just look at a sheer numbers basis, but resident retention, net promoter score, all these different things are factors to help our residents stay longer, which means less in CapEx for turns, higher rents, and just you know overall a more profitable operation. So uh, it's, it's helpful. Uh, the property management side is super hard. And one thing I always tell on podcasts is the property man, the asset manager does not manage the property manager. It is a hundred percent, a collaborative piece on it because I can't tell a property manager how to lease a unit or fix something, but we work together on if these prices go up, then how do we make the business plan still work every day? So it's a fun job of figuring out especially in the last two years, everything going on. So it's been a fun ride. <laughs> well, that's good. And, you know, a lot of the players in the space uh, these days, I mean, even including myself, right? We use third-party property management, not in-house, but I can certainly see uh, the advantage of being, you know, basically working for the same folks, uh, you know, and being the same company with your property managers, because that that probably gives you more ability to work together, work collaboratively in that that setup. Like you said, it's not the asset manager managing the property manager. Whereas if it's a third party type of situation, it might feel it might be a little bit shoehorned into the asset manager managing the property manager, whereas a more productive relationship would be collaborative. Yeah. 
and it's different business models. Like there's no right or wrong way because when you have a in-house, you're growing two businesses. You're growing the investing arm, you're growing the property management because you can grow this, the investing arm super fast. But if you don't have the maintenance and the team and the infrastructure behind it, it doesn't matter how quickly you grow on the investing side, you're going to fail because the property management is the most important part. Uh, having maintenance people, having leasing agents, having property managers who are competent and capable uh, that fit your core value piece. That's another thing I think no one talks in spreadsheets or in underwriting is like having that cohesive fit of team members. It's the one plus one equals three of just making sure you're all going in the right direction. And that's that stuff takes time. So uh, if you're thinking of being vertically integrated or you want to, don't look at the scoreboard of units or equity under management because it's going to take you a little bit longer because you're building two businesses instead of one. In return, you'll have more control later, but uh, it's it just kind of play to your skill sets. Like I, I couldn't do a property management a day in my life, but I commend Jake and thank all of our property manager and maintenance people. They're absolute rock stars and make my job really easy. Um, but you know, it's everyone has different paths to success and it's whatever works best for you in your investing career. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, most of our audience out there are, you know, tend to be more passive investors in these syndications or they're, they're considering being passive investors in syndications. And I think it's important to, you know, really line out the differences between the, the, maybe the hats that an asset manager versus a property manager would wear, even in, you know, in a vertically integrated type of situation, you have different roles. Can you tell us about your role as a compared to your individual property managers roles and what some of the like delineations are there that you uh, draw in your company? Yeah. What I think is super helpful is I always make this analogy and I think it resonates with the property managers of the property manager is the CEO of that property. You're as the asset manager are the like advisory board, making sure everything is going well. So the CEO oversees the maintenance and back office. And so the maintenance is making sure we're doing our renovations, making sure we're doing our turns, making sure we're in budget. Uh, so there's that numbers component. And then you also have the leasing side, the back office, making sure, hey, our marketing is working, our leasing is going well, our customer service is high, our retention's good, we're having events. So it's like that property manager is the CEO of that property. They should know everything. They should know the numbers. And I tell use that analogy. If you're, if you're on Shark Tank and you don't know the numbers, you're not going to get an investment. So it's super important that your property managers are ingrained, know what's going on competitive. There's a lot of technologies out there, but you know, for marketing. So it's making sure they're understand everything that's going in, but also looking out and seeing what our competition is doing, whether it's rents, technology, et cetera. You as the asset manager, you're ingrained in the numbers. And this is where I, because for me, I see a T12 and I see a story of like, oh, there's a leak here and making sure we're paying our investors. So for me, it's just seeing what's been going on through the numbers. Uh, we have a weekly pulls document that allows us to see the performance of the property. It's a very powerful tool of just seeing occupancy, delinquency, how many turns there were, how many units were down, so and our marketing and how many guest cards and applicants. So it just really ingrains in what's going on at a very high level. And it just that's how we start our weekly meetings with our property managers is to say, hey, we can tell by these numbers throughout the life of the asset by seeing the trends, right? So if our occupancy is down, and our marketing isn't hitting, is our apartments.com doing well? 
Is there a certain, is our customer service really high? What are we doing wrong and how can we fix it today? Because if you're just waiting every every month for the financials, you'll have a three-week lag of getting the numbers, then you have a two-week lag of identifying it, and then you have another week lag of fixing it. So that could be two months of missed opportunity to fix the problem when you could have been doing it on a weekly basis. So that's where that collaborative piece of, hey, maybe we should tweak this marketing or do this. So yeah, I think that's high level between the asset manager versus the property manager and how they kind of work together on a weekly basis. I think that's that's very helpful because, you know, when you're newer to the syndication space, you might not know the difference and it's, oh, good it's so overwhelming those things out. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. There's and, numbers everywhere. There's people, there's names on LinkedIn. It's, it's a lot. And I tell them just take your time. It's okay. Like, obviously you need to, you know, you should be investing in real estate, but find someone, you know, like, and trust and can operate at a high level in what you're looking to do and be uh, teachers in the space as well. Yeah. Do you want direct access to passive commercial real estate investments, including apartments, self-storage, medical facilities, hotels, and even more? CrowdStreet has you covered. They provide access to a wide variety of commercial real estate syndications for accredited investors. Over 520 deals have been closed through the platform, and investors have placed over $2.1 billion, that's billion with a B, in those deals. Go to PassiveWealthStrategy.com slash CrowdStreet to get started, or click the link in the show notes. See the CrowdStreet platform for full terms and conditions of what they offer. Once again, that's PassiveWealthStrategy.com slash CrowdStreet to get started. So uh, on, on you know, in my business more recently, by the time this goes live, this will, this will all be uh, completely closed out, but we're selling a property, an apartment complex right now uh, that we syndicated. And I think we're going to do uh, pretty well on it. It's all under contract and everything. And congratulations. We, oh, thank you. I'm pretty excited. And uh, we've been working with the property manager who have, who have all been great. And the folks at the property in the office, it's a third party property manager. And as far as I can tell, the new owners are probably not going to keep those folks on, which is unfortunate because they're really good. Actually, yeah. they've done a great job for us. And I think they'd do a great job in the future, but they can, a new owner can make their decision. Teach as, their own. As you, as you will. For a vertically integrated company like yours, especially as an asset manager, you know, you're presumably you're through working the business plan from acquisition through disposition at sale. How do you guys work with a, like an internal team? You're selling the property. Somebody else is buying it. They're not going to keep your team, but you're not going to need those folks in the office anymore, presumably. So they might be losing their job. How do you guys work through all of that and keeping people happy, keeping them retained until the place is, you know, closed and sold? Let's get into that. I'm really yeah. curious. No. So for us, it's, I mean, it's, we don't know it's selling until it actually closes. And I think any, a lot of property managers in this space know that, hey, this might sell, but you might we talk up our our team members to the new team and say, hey, these are our rock stars. They're really good. They know the property well. And so we want to help them. Our one of our, our first core values people first. And so we want we're very transparent with our team. We we went through principles again. Uh, it's my favorite book by Ray Dalio, and it was being radically transparent with our team members of hey, what's going on? But in commercial real estate, deals get under contract uh, and they could fall out in due diligence or this happens. Or this, like it just, 
it's the nature, the beauty of the beast. And so we just say, hey, is business as usual until this closes? Uh, we keep everyone engaged and like, hey, head down, let's grind through this, let's make this as because we still have our investors we have to pay. So if mm-hmm. we let off the gas and we're not executing, then rut row, we're we're missing our marks for our investors. <laughs> so it is absolutely business as usual. We're operating as it because we want to be stewards to our capital's investors, but also on human capital wise, we want to make sure our team members are there and we're helping them and their careers. And I mean, stuff happens and, but we're generally, we're looking to buy and hold a lot longer than others, but sometimes we sell and you know, that, that, like you said, the next owner might take on a person or two, they might come back and work for us at a different product. It's just the world in commercial real estate is very, uh, you know, relationship based that I'm sure Many of your guests may say that, but there's you see the same people in these in this industry. So it's just making sure that you are a good, the best buyer, the best seller, and the best manager you can be, so that you can, can have continued business and do it time and time again. Yeah, yeah. So one thing I see um, bite a lot of syndication teams now. I'm not certain exactly which classes and ages of properties you guys buy, but in the more affordable some a little maybe a little older asset classes there's a lot of deferred maintenance that comes up that once you get to it you pay for it it's not going to help your you know NOI if it's a you know a burst pipe or something like that that wasn't leaking okay it cost you a lot of money didn't raise your NOI just drained your bank account a bit good pun <laughs> well i don't didn't even do that on purpose <laughs> and then you know that can all be mitigated through due diligence and all those kinds of things but you know, from your experience, you know, acquiring these new properties, can you tell us about how you guys do that due diligence on you know the physical condition of the property so that you're not walking into a big mess that's you know gonna drain the coffers so quickly? Yeah, I think it's just being realistic with what you're buying. Uh, I was talking to a broker, and he said, "Yeah, this group was buying a 1960s asset and then was nitpicking every single thing that was wrong with it and demanding a retrade." If you're buying a 60s or older asset, there's going to be stuff that's wrong with it. There's going to be older plumbing that you're going to have to just budget for. You're going to have to get a good understanding of the breakers. Are they Zinsco, Stablock, Sylvania? And just really make, because insurances won't carry you. So you're going to have to just day one, replace all of it. Um, so you can get the best rates for insurance. I feel like I'm an insurance claims agent because our insurance team has just trained us so well on look for this, look for this, look for this. And if it's 60s, like looking for railings that are not four feet high, it's like sounds super nitpicky. And that's probably the vertical integrated piece is like, hey, look for this, look for that. The older the property you buy, the more like the boilers and chillers, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when this is and making sure you're fully capitalized. Because I've seen a lot of properties, early 60s, oh, they've only turned one unit. And their utilities are $1,200 a unit. It's like, oh, you guys have been paying for leaks. You can't renovate anything and you replace a roof. So just asking a lot of upfront questions of ages on roofs, looking at windows. Like you said, that not sexy stuff that isn't like, it's not a countertop, but it's something that you need. Even our intern at a property store is like, why are you opening the cabinets? I'm like, well, I know it's 70s and 60s products. I'm checking the plumbing. And sure enough, there was a, a bucket under the sink. So it's just like <laughs> the older the product, the more likely it could go wrong. Doesn't mean don't buy it. It's just making sure you're capitalized uh, and have enough in your CapEx budget to 
make sure that you're protected. And I see groups, some groups, you know, try to do half the units to say it's enough meat for the next buyer, but I'd rather just be fully capitalized because if I need a roof, if something happens, I'm well enough capitalized to survive that storm and still renovate units. Yeah. So uh, as, as a general partner, we want to make sure we're adequately capitalized, but for the passive investor out there, who's, you know, in, to a certain extent, they're not probably going to go and do the physical due diligence on the property uh, themselves. Thinking of from that perspective of if I'm looking at a deal, right? How can I, as a passive investor, be comfortable or confident that this deal is adequately capitalized, you know, other than than asking about it? maybe the question, maybe the answer is ask about it. But, you know, if we're thinking from the passive investor angle, what do you think about that? How can they kind of protect themselves and make sure that capitalization, that money is there to yeah. account for those things? Yeah, I think for all passive investors, I think the couple questions that I think even before this part that really kind of extenuates on how good, like the sophistication of a Jeep general partner is I always ask uh, two questions and then the renovation piece. So one, is this a 506B or 506C? Because I'm sure you've seen it on Facebook. I need, I just got this deal under contract, who wants in? And no one says if it's a 506B, 506C, like what is it? And then you see that question, they're like, what's that? Well, that's a flag for the SEC. And it's like not a good, that's not how you raise money. Uh, So talk to a syndication attorney if you see stuff on Facebook. If it's on (laughs) Facebook advertised, it has to be a 506 season cap because they can do it. The next question I ask, it's the the quickest way on underwriting uh, that I can quickly say is, how did you calculate your property taxes? Bad answers are, I just doubled it. We're doing that. Like uh, I increased it forty percent. Uh, a better answer would mention the terms mill rate, assessment value, it, and kind of a more sophisticated answer. So those two questions really kind of make or break on that piece. Um, but on the renovations, uh, back to that p- aspect, I think it's seeing what your per unit expenses are. I mean, for us, painting and flooring are your two biggest turns. And that could be anywhere three to five dollars, depending where you are in the country. I mean, we have internal flooring, so it's a little bit cheaper. A square but foot. Yeah, per square foot. So when you're looking at it and you're like, okay, these are only three thousand dollars per per unit on renovations, and it's a 1960s product. All we're doing is painting and flooring. That's not going to address a lot of other things. So just making sure, hey, how much do you have capitalized for potential plumbing issues? How much do you have capitalized for the roofs? How much, like, how much money do you have for these big ticket items that generate zero dollars in revenue, but make sure this property is safe for our residents? So um, it's just asking a lot of questions. So it's just making sure you're thorough with it. Is that three to five dollars a square foot each for painting and flooring, or together. total together? together. Okay, because that's that could be a big difference. <laughs> yeah, no, it's together because usually you paint and do floors, but yeah, it's I'd say about three three to five dollars a square foot. So just to kind of, it was like a quick, quick number, depending on the area. Mm, okay. And how about the future of syndicated multifamily, right? Because we've been, the whole time I've been a real estate investor, people have been talking about, quote, the crash that's right around the corner. And you still hear that today. And from what I can tell, we're going to be hearing about that forever. From what you're seeing in the field, you know, with residents coming in, you're looking at all these new properties, you guys, you know, have have the soup to nuts view of your all of your investments. 
What do you see for the next couple of years as a multifamily investor to look out for? And what do you think the market looks like? I see it just getting hotter to be completely honest. And I don't want to say like the cliche, like I'm in it. It's only going up Bitcoin, Dogecoin yeah. and multifamily all the way up. Uh, my my thesis is more based on what's been going on in the market. So single families are getting bought out by private equity firms because they just need yeah. to dump money in. So then home buyers, home ownership is going down. And even this build to rent product has been coming around in larger cities. So developers are building neighborhoods and just renting it all out. So home ownership has already been going down and now it's going down even further because people are getting priced out of homes. Well, for those people who finally are like, I'm buying this half a million dollar house and then you know some sort of correction happens, well, the few remaining homeowners that can't afford their homes are now going to become renters. And we're in the Southeast where it's continuing to get hotter. New York and everyone's going down South and uh, even Chicago and the Midwest, like where I'm from, we're up in Michigan state, but I'm in Tennessee because there's no state income tax. I don't have to shovel snow. It's beautiful, <laughs> right? right? So people are going to continue to move down to where they want to live and not have to pay taxes. So taxes, the elimination of home ownership, the continued for build to rent. I think just multifamily gets hotter, but I think it's just a matter of like, you have to have nice products. We're trying to focus on, because we're in Knoxville, we have a big enough team of 1200 units in this city where we can have a little construction team. But I think newer products, 70s, 80s, et cetera, are going to be like more targeted and coveted because they're going to withstand longer. So I just, I see multifamily not slowing down, but it's more of because home ownership is going down. I know myself, I'm 29 and I don't see myself buying a home because I don't want to fix anything. I don't have time. I work a lot. I don't, I'm always on the move. So the last thing I want to do is fix a fridge or do anything. So uh, trends like that, private equity, buying single family, the few remaining true homeowners, if they dip, with jobs or anything else that happened in the future, they're going to become renters. So those are kind of my thesis. And I'm just, uh, I like to think I'm very objective when it comes to this stuff and just seeing it and private equity and multi and family offices are coming into multifamily as well. So they, once they're in it, it's, I don't see it going away uh, and they're buying bigger and bigger stuff. So just kind of consolidating. Yeah, no, I think you're, I think you're, probably right about that and and i hope so <laughs> you know it, it i appreciate that you say you know you don't want to sound like you're drinking the kool-aid but if you thought it was a dying industry you probably would not be in it so yeah you know. well and that's the thing is like i don't want to say i yeah i'm i'm in it so it's going up it's like well he follow the money like i've talked to lent like talk to lenders and they'll tell you like january 2020 lenders were like be careful uh student housing we weren't looking at it but they're like we don't like student housing Mm -hmm. pandemic happens, everyone's work from home or studying from home. Well, no one's staying in these dorms or apartments, right? And it's just like, follow follow the money and money's coming into multifamily at a rep. I mean, we lost on a deal to half a million dollars in uh, hard money day one. Wow. In Kentucky. So from a family office. So... <laughs> It's uh, it's competitive, uh, and you just have to get creative ways. Uh, we're all looking at smaller units, unit counts like the hundred units are now just getting bid up by multi, uh, larger groups. So it's like, okay, tw like I worked, on, I closed on a thirty-six unit last week. 
looking at some 50 units, like you have to kind of get creative of like the scattered site stuff and just really execute and get scale that way. Wow. Right now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to invest in the private lending and debt side of real estate? You might find that going out and finding borrowers on your own is tough. When you find a borrower, you have the task of evaluating their plan all on your own. And the traditional way of lending private money highly concentrates your risk because you'll probably be funding the whole rehab loan on your own. That meant writing loan checks well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, placing a lot of risk in individual borrowers and properties. Not to mention, there's a lot for you to know in terms of how to structure these loans so that you can help protect yourself and work with the borrower in your interests. Now, there's a new way to invest in the debt side of real estate that turns the private money lending space on its head. You can invest in a variety of debt instruments with this new platform with as little as $10 in each opportunity. You can diversify your investment across a wide variety of borrowers, geographies, and asset types. This new platform is called ground floor. They make it easy to invest in either your name or using your self-directed IRA. And if you don't already have a self-directed IRA, don't worry. They make it easy to get started and get one opened. Go to www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor to get started or click the link in the show notes. See the ground floor site for full terms and details of what they offer. Once again, that's www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor, or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. All right, Mike, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Absolutely. Let's do it. All right, great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? I'm going to say uh, probably a probably my CPA license. And that's probably, I guess, that, is, that, is that technically education? Oh, I'll allow it. You know, that's a, a How about I'll say license. my years? I'll say my years of experience in accounting. Ah, okay. So, so uh, I wish I was out of it sooner, but seeing, knowing what I know now, I just understand financial statements better. I'm not saying you, you know, there's always this huge debate of go to college, what's the ROI on it? Uh, but just working in accounting for as long as I did and working with the people I did. I had the super technical of seeing large companies do it. I got to work with startups who had no idea what numbers are uh, from esports to media production. Like it was just modeling that stuff was cool and just working with startups. So it's just like a really interesting background that every day I love it and I hate it all because of the experiences and the knowledge it gave me. So it was just a really good background that I would say I loved and hated all at the same time. It was worth it. <laughs> nice. Well, we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Probably day trading. Uh, so, <laughs> so, I mean, I I, thought, I was going to say crypto, but fundamentally, I believe in crypto moving forward. And I'm not saying put it all in. Uh, but uh, I think at a point that I was just trying to focus on getting dollars and not getting knowledge. And so me day trading as a, in the early twenties, I'm sure we all did had Robin hood of like, Oh, this IPO and then sell and this and that. And you're like, you're so ingrained in on the screen for something to happen that I wasn't learning real estate. I wasn't doing this. I wasn't focusing on, you know, I started in single family. So uh, I should have said that as my best investment, but by day trading and trying to follow dollars, it didn't allow me to really think about five, 10 years from now and how I want to scale my life. And so that's where 
I thought of the single family and then I realized, okay, this isn't entirely scalable. Now let's go into multifamily and then just continue to scale that piece. Mm, yeah. Well, I, gambling on wall street doesn't work out for a lot of folks. So I don't blame you for saying that. I mean, patient, patience is the key in any wealth creation. So if you're going to stick to it, do I want to spend four to eight hours at a time staring at a screen, trying to wait for a number to hit or this metric to hit versus if I just put $10, $10 a week in Bitcoin, $50 a week in and Vanguard and index fund, like those are much easier and less thinking ways to spend my time with that. I can just create wealth through those ways. Absolutely. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Commit 100% all in on whatever you do uh, and don't give up until you get there. Uh, my career, I started in, I, I lived in Michigan and then I moved to Chicago. I met, I, you know, I met a mentor. I was like, I'm going to move to Chicago to be closer to them. And now my friends were like, oh, we'll see you in six months. Good luck. Have fun. Uh, and I worked 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. trying to get an opportunity. I was volunteering for other groups, underwriting for them. And uh, and then I got the job for Jake and Gino. And then I've uh, been working here for two years. And uh, it was a slow ramp up of like, I've been here for just over two years. And it took a lot of time to get those broker relations. But now we're starting to get traction of closed over a hundred units this year. Last year was a little bit less, but it just, it takes time. So I just don't give up, keep going. Uh, it doesn't have in real estate. You might think you're the craziest person in the room, but there's a huge humongous network on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, like whatever you need to help get you through it. Uh, we're here for you. You have a real estate problem. We're here to support you and make sure you don't give up on it. So just keep fighting the good fight and success will come to you. I promise. Awesome. I love that. Well, Mike, thank you for joining us today. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about you, your organization, or you know, whatever, where can they track you down? Yeah. So uh, Mike T at Rand, com is my email. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, or at ValueAddMike because 0% of people can spell my last name correctly on the first <laughs> try. And there's only 10 million Mikes in the world. Uh, and then LinkedIn, Mike Tarvella Jr. Uh, and whatever I can do to help serve, answer questions, whatever it can be, I'm happy to help serve your listeners and take over the world together. All right, great. I love that. Well, Mike, thanks once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That's very much appreciated. That helps other people learn about the show. It helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem, and it helps me feel good because I get to see that you guys are engaging with the content and growing along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.